Well, this morning was interesting as I came in and had to fix my microphone and everything was screwed up since I was gone last week, but I heard nothing but great things, so thank you to Denise and all the women who shared last week. Um, and I, I was gone last week and apparently someone lied to you and told you that I spent Mother's Day with my mom. Um, I didn't actually spend Mother's Day with my mom. I did have dinner with her last weekend, but it wasn't on Mother's Day. Um, I, it was my brother's getting married the first of next month, and so we spent the weekend, he and some friends, and, and uh, I still have a couple bruises left from playing paintball last Saturday. I had done that since I was 12, but it really was a lot of fun. I uh, went to a baseball game and didn't get much sleep, and um, I paid for it on Monday. Um, but we had a good time together. But I was thinking this weekend, as we were all together, that the most significant moments in our lives often happen with other people, Right? When we think back on our lives, there aren't really that many moments of real significance that were by ourselves. I mean, all of us, when we were born, none of us was born alone. It's not possible. You cannot be born alone. There's always at least one other person there, usually more than that. As we get older, you know, there are significant moments in our lives. If you were dedicated or baptized as an infant, there was at least a pastor or a priest and your parents or someone who loved you there. And so if that didn't happen in your life, then you went to school at some point, and, and you went to probably a graduation, and we don't graduate because we went to school alone. We graduate because there were lots of people with us. And then maybe you got married, or maybe you've been married, and at a wedding ceremony, it's impossible to get married alone. Um, that can't happen. No matter how that looks, it, it can't happen. You cannot be married alone. In fact, we spend lots of money on that day having friends and family gather together so they're there with us. And the reality for us is those pivotal moments in our life don't happen alone. And I started thinking about my own life, about significant moments that I remember. And so one of the most significant moments I remember was when I was five years old. And when I was five, it was Easter Sunday, and I was in Sunday school before church, and the teacher told me to do something, and I didn't like it, and I told her no. She says, Aaron, I'm telling you to do this. And I remember saying to her, I don't have to listen to you because my grandfather is actually the pastor of this church, so he's like your boss. I can tell you that didn't end well for me. I remember that day significantly because I wasn't able to hunt for Easter eggs because it was Easter Sunday. But see, I remember another moment when I was seven years old in a room off the gym in the church I grew up in. Um, uh, the woman who led children's church said, if anybody wants to know Jesus and you want to accept him into your heart, and this kind of church language we use as a little seven-year-old kid, it made sense to me, probably more than it makes sense to me even now. And I went and knelt at this little altar with a couple of buddies, Pete and Doug, and, and I prayed this prayer, and I got up and I was crying, and I sat back down, and they're like, dude, why are you crying? I was like, I don't really know. Um, and so I kind of made this decision to follow Jesus then, and I remember being 15 at this summer youth camp, and they said, anybody who thinks they may have a, a call to ministry, stand up, and, and I did, and there were about 50 people there. I remember later that same summer, I went to this event called NYC in, in Toronto, Canada, and at the Air Canada Center, there were about 10,000 of us gathered together, and they said, anybody who thinks that they're called to full-time ministry, come forward. And so, in front of 10,000 people, I walked to the front, which is an awkward feeling. And then I remember when I was 18, I was playing in the state finals for tennis, and it wasn't going well that day, and I looked at a grown man and told him to shut up in front of a thousand people, and that didn't go well for me later either. <laughs> when I was 22 and I knelt at an altar and people from church that I grew up in gathered around and, and uh, kind of sent me off into ministry. When I was married and family and friends gathered together at that celebration. Or when our kids were born and and there were nurses and doctors in that room. In fact, there was one little Filipino doctor, Dr. Yellum in Chile. She scared me. 
my wife and I began having this argument whether I was going to cut the umbilical cord or not, and I said not, and Dr. Yellen Chile looked at me and handed me the scissors and said, you cut here now? I listened. She might be five feet tall, but she scares me. Um, but we can go on and on about moments in our lives that are significant moments, moments in which they were pivotal for us, moments in which we remember. And do you realize for most of us, they didn't happen alone? See, I also believe the most significant spiritual moments in our lives don't happen alone either. The most significant spiritual moments in our lives happen when other people are present. Today is Pentecost Sunday, the day we celebrate the day that the Holy Spirit came upon people. And it's a crazy kind of story, and we're going to read it in just a moment from Acts chapter 2, and at that point I'll invite you to stand, but, but it is kind of a crazy story. So that people are gathered together to celebrate one thing and something else happens. People are gathered together, and this is the reality for us. We believe that in Jesus, God came in flesh, dwelt among us, lived among us, and somehow when Jesus left, his spirit was left with us. And this moment, it's when we see that kind of come to its fullness, come to fruition, if you will. And so I'd like you to stand as we read from Acts chapter 2. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God on our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken." Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave and will you let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. 
Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. People heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many of the words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The writer of the book of Acts is Luke, and Luke's the one who wrote the book of Luke. I know it's fitting. They just named it after the guy who wrote it. Um, but Luke was a doctor, and he was meticulous in the way he kept notes. And so what Luke would do is if he didn't know the story, if he hadn't been present in the story, he met people who were present in the story. So the book of Acts is the story of the early church, the stories that were passed on to him or he witnessed himself. And so he begins this way. He begins telling them it's this festival that's going on, that Pentecost is happening. And there are two significant festivals, really, in the Jewish world. There was Passover, and there was Pentecost. Passover, we know, is to celebrate the exile, the, the exodus out of Egypt. But, but Pentecost was a little bit different. In many ways, it was an agricultural festival to celebrate God's faithfulness to them and their crops. But at the same time, it celebrated that Moses was given the law on Mount Sinai and that, that God had a, had a way of life that he was calling them to. And so it was a particular holiday in which everyone was off work and the streets would have been full of people just walking around. And it's in the middle of this bustling city in which probably more people would be there than actually Passover because Passover would happen usually in April and this would be in June. And, and so what would happen is all these people would come from all over the place and because the weather would be good, more people would come. It was also called the Feast of Weeks because it was a week of weeks or seven weeks, 49 days. And so on the 50th day would be this celebration. But here's what Luke says in verse 1 that's so important. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. God typically does work among people when they're gathered together. The most significant spiritual moments in the disciples' lives happen when they're together. It wasn't one-on-one. This is true in our lives. Usually the most significant moments that God works are when we are with other people. And then God begins to do something new here. He begins to pour out his spirit upon them in a new kind of way. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is poured out on these people. And it's such a weird phenomenon that some people go, man, these people are drunk. And Peter stands up and he goes, no, 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 it's only nine in the morning. They're not, some of them may be alcoholics, but they're not drunk yet. Like, you don't get it. That's not what's happening here. It's not about drunk, it's about God doing something new. It's something radically different. It's something that we've never seen before. It's something that's inexplicable that we don't really have words for. And then Peter says this, quoting one of the prophets. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Like, I don't know if we've thought about that much, but you realize that's usually reversed, right? Old men see see visions. Young men dream. Old men don't dream. They look backwards. The older we get, we don't look forward and think about what the future might hold. We look backwards and think about the glory days of yesterday. Well, Peter is trying to say that because of what Jesus is doing, because of what the Spirit is doing, not only will old men dream dreams, but young men will see visions that only old men used to see. And if you notice something significant in this text, it says, your sons and your daughters, both men and women. Historically, one of the things that people have been awful about is we've We've diminished the value of women. And one of the significant things is in this moment, Christianity is really the only world religion that pushed for the inclusiveness of women. One of the things that happens here that we sometimes miss is that God wants to work among both men and women, both young and old. He doesn't care where you're from about what your nationality is because he races national borders and God says it's no longer about where you're from or your age or your gender, but it's about knowing me. See, Pentecost celebrated this idea that Moses went up to the mountain on Mount Sinai and was given the Ten Commandments. And he took them down. So he ascended to the top of the mountain. He descended to the people and he gave them these laws and they were to write them on their hearts and to live a certain way. And in this Pentecost, we see Jesus ascended to the Father and he sent, he descended, he sent his spirit among the people and the spirit comes not so we'd write a law on our hearts, but so the spirit of God would dwell in our hearts. So we learn a new way of living, a new way of life, a new way that we had never known before when it transcends the things that have made sense to us in so many ways. It's this significant thing that God is doing. It's a moment that they're experiencing together. It's that God comes to us in a way that's so different. And so Peter wants people to understand the spirit that's poured out in this moment is for everyone. No matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, no matter your past or your present circumstances, but it's to reshape your future, to help you dream dreams and to see visions. One of the things that Peter would have, was saying without saying it in this way was this. The cross was a window in time allowing us to see the suffering love which is eternally in the heart of God. The cross was a window in time allowing us to see the suffering love which is eternally in the heart of God. So often we assume that this was some kind of mistake what happened but it really was the fullness of God's love it's from the beginning in the time of the garden when we had one choice to choose to follow God or go so another direction. And from then on, we chose another direction. But in Jesus, God reorients our understanding, helps us to come back to him. See, for the early church and for us, all history hinges on Jesus. It hinges on the resurrection. The moment of Pentecost really did radically change the world. It changed the way God related to us. So I came across this quote that I want to share this week. It says, Through the Spirit, some of the creative power of God himself comes from heaven to earth and does its work there. The point is to transform earth with the power of heaven, starting with those parts of earth which consist of the bodies, minds, hearts, and lives of the followers of Jesus as a community. 
The same spirit that in Genesis 1 took the chaos of creation and created order is the same spirit that comes to us and takes the chaos of our lives, the chaos of the day of Pentecost, and creates order out of that, gives peace peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. It's the way God comes to relate to us. That's why I love this line. Pentecost is every bit of a gospel event as Jesus' ministry and miracles, death and resurrection. Spirit's coming grants us assurance, hope, and identity as much as a bloody cross or an empty tomb. The gift of the Holy Spirit is part and parcel of Christ's work on behalf of his people to glory in our Redeemer without also glorifying in the Spirit is akin to enjoying a bacon cheeseburger without bacon. It's just not possible. So the question we're left to ask is this, have you received the Holy Spirit? Have we received the Spirit of God that came on this day of Pentecost that about 3,000 were saved that day, that came to know Jesus as Lord, that were radically transformed, that God began to speak in new ways in their life? Pentecost was the day in which they shared this new reality of the resurrection, this new reality that God had done something new. And I have to be honest, we use words in church that are hard for people to understand. Like the word resurrection is actually kind of a weird word, and we're not sure what to do with it. And, and we talked about this a little bit in a board meeting this week. I, I was kind of making fun of Christians because we use language that sometimes isn't helpful. We say things like, we're going to love on people. That's kind of creepy. <laughs> Why do we say we're going to love people? It's a much better way to say that. Um, resurrection, for a better definition, is this. Resurrection wasn't about a disembodied spirit going off to heaven, leaving a body behind in a tomb. It's precisely what the word resurrection did not mean. Resurrection was and is about a physical body being very thoroughly dead, but then being very thoroughly alive again so that the normal corruption and decay which follows death wouldn't even begin. I have to be honest with you, the idea of resurrection is really hard for us. It's hard for us because we weren't there to see Jesus walk out of the tomb. We may have heard on the news or some people have said, well, I've seen someone come back from the grave. I I never have. In fact, I don't think anyone else ever really has either. Not in our lifetime. So what do we do with this idea that Jesus is the first fruit of this resurrection, that he's the first of those to come back to life? He's the beginning of what God desires to do in and through us. But I can tell you what I have seen. And some of you have shared your stories about who you were before you met Jesus, who you were before you came to know Jesus as Lord, who you were before you called on his name, about the kind of people that we were before we knew him. And then you can tell you about who you are now. And so no, we we may not see resurrection in its fullness, but we definitely see in part. I think resurrection is all around us. This idea of Pentecost, this idea of God's Spirit being poured out, it's all around us. It's everywhere we look. It's a reminder for us when we're concerned about politics or who gets to use what bathroom or other things that Pentecost and resurrection are a reminder for us that God is redeeming and it's the suffering love of a Savior that brings us hope. It reminds us that heaven and earth are interconnected. That heaven comes here, and so in the midst of chaos in our lives, God wants to say to us sometimes, quit worrying about some of that other stuff. Now come to know my love, and let me show my love to others through your life. But it happens together. It happens in ways that we cannot miss. It happens in ways, if we're not careful, we don't know how to share. So I came across this story. I wanted to share it with you this morning. 
The love generated by the Holy Spirit extends not only to the people we know, but even to people we don't. This was made very clear to me some years ago when I was the speaker for an evangelistic crusade held at the Arco Arena in Sacramento, California. First night of the evangelistic crusade was a brilliant success. Thousands of people came to the meeting. There was good music and the Spirit of God moved among people, leading many of them to make decisions for Christ. The following morning, there was a meeting of the planning committee. I was surprised when I realized they were upset. Not with me or anything I had done, they were upset with the media. They complained about the fact that even though thousands of people had come to hear the Word of God the night before, the television stations and newspapers paid no attention to what was going on. I listened for a while, then gave them my opinion. I pointed out that Mick Jagger had been there the previous week, filled every seat in the place, and got no media coverage. It wasn't any big deal to the media, I explained, to fill a stadium or arena with thousands and thousands of people. Then I made a suggestion. This is World AIDS Week. Let's do something about that. If you want news coverage, just put out a press release that the offering from tonight's meeting will go to programs throughout the Sacramento area that minister to people suffering from AIDS. If you want news coverage, you've got to actually make news. I want to tell you it's news when a bunch of evangelicals are willing to express love in a tangible way for people suffering from AIDS. We say we love those people, but it's usually a lot of words. Let's put our money where our mouths are and see what happens. This was several years back when the fear of AIDS was at a fevered pitch and contempt for those who had this dreaded disease was omnipresent. Radio preachers constantly told the Christian community that AIDS was sent by God to punish homosexuals. The rhetoric about people with AIDS was absolutely horrible. However, the people running this crusade were godly folks and thought that even apart from any news coverage we might get, such an offering would be a good thing. After all, they reflected the bills for running the arena had been paid and most of the other expenses had already been covered. That night, the media coverage was extensive. All three major television stations were there with camera crews and the two newspapers were represented by reporters. The mass choir sang, but the television cameras were not turned on. I preached and they paid no attention, which is about like here. They were waiting for the offering at the end of the service as the buckets were passed to collect the contributions that would go for people with AIDS. Television cameras were turned on and newspaper photographers were snapping pictures. This was what they wanted to see. Christians sacrificially giving to meet the needs of people with AIDS, most of whom at that time were homosexuals. Later that night, I was in my hotel room watching the evening news to see how the whole thing was covered. They not only showed the offering being taken, but they interviewed people as they were leaving the arena. One old grandmother was moved to tears as she said, My grandson has AIDS, and this is the first time that I've been able to talk about it, because up until now I was made to feel so ashamed of him. I feel he was affirmed tonight. There were a few other comments that were made, but the best of the evening was from a tough-looking guy who was grossly overweight. His hair was a mess, and it looked as though he needed a shave, but they stuck a microphone under his mouth and asked him, What did you think of the offering tonight? The guy answered in a gruff voice, What about it? And he said, well, people with AIDS are usually homosexuals, and you evangelical Christians haven't been very kindly disposed to them, have you? How do you feel about your money going to people who are probably gay? God's answer was splendid, he said. I don't know anything about this homo stuff that you're talking about. All I know is that when people are sick, we're supposed to take care of them. And that's because Christian loves, Christians love everybody. I stood up in that hotel room, shot my fist in the air, and yelled, yes. In the end, they will know we are Christians not because we perform miracles or demonstrate signs and wonders. They will know we are Christians by our love. See, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to change the very way we see the world. 
to help us recognize that in the chaos around us that God still wants to do something new. He still wants to pour out his spirit in ways that are life-changing, that he still wants to do something new. That's why Peter in verse 21 says this, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Another area I think we get the definition wrong is this idea of being saved. In fact, I think we're incorrect more than we're correct. We get it so wrong that we miss God's desire for us. We get it so wrong that we miss the point of the Holy Spirit. One definition was this. Being saved doesn't just mean, as it does for many today, going to heaven when they die. It means knowing God's rescuing power, power revealed in Jesus, which anticipates in the present God's final act of deliverance. Peter will now go on to encourage his hearers to call on the Lord's name and so to know that salvation, that rescue, as a present reality as well as a future hope. See, I'll say that again. I think sometimes we've bought into this idea to, to, to quote-unquote be saved is to just not go to hell. And frankly, that's a shallow definition of what it means to follow Jesus. Actually, that has nothing to do with following Jesus at all. But if we truly want to be redeemed, to be resurrected people, to be a people of Pentecost, to be a people of His Spirit, it's to recognize that in Jesus He transforms our hearts so much so that this idea of this future heaven becomes a present reality in the world in which we live. We live as a people who are prisoners of hope. That God wants to do a new thing in and through us so that we come to know Him in powerful life-giving ways. I asked a question earlier. I said, have you received the Holy Spirit yet? And the reality for each of us is if we've said yes to following Jesus, if we've called on the name of the Lord, that he desperately desires to, quote-unquote, save us. To save us from who we have been to who he desires for us to become. It's why Paul writes this to Titus. In chapter 3 of his letter to Titus, it says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. We're not saved from something just to do whatever we want to do. God desperately wants to redeem us, to restore us, to make us whole, to recreate us in His image so that we can be, quote-unquote, saved from something, so that we can be His image bearers in the world, so that we are defined by the love that God has for us, and that love is poured out. And that's what His Spirit does on the day of Pentecost. But as Peter tells us, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. If you want this new abundant life, this life radically defined by love, not defined by anything else, defined by our relationship with the Father that comes to us through the Son and says, I know you and I love you and my spirit that raised Jesus himself from the dead is the same spirit that can dwell in you and I. And this morning, this is what Pentecost is about. But these significant moments, these significant spiritual moments happen together in the context of community and the context of lots of people. And so maybe today, if you have never known Jesus, if you've never known that 
that in Jesus he came for you, that it's God's love poured out for you, for the fullness of God's love, for him to dwell in us, for his spirit to be poured out the way it was on the day of Pentecost, and for his church to be reflections of that love poured out in everywhere we go and everything that we do. And maybe you need a significant spiritual moment, and maybe for you then September 15th, 2016 is your significant moment. Maybe today needs to be the significant moment in your life, spiritually. So I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'm going to pray, and the priest team's going to come lead us in another song. But this morning, maybe if you find yourself saying, I don't, I don't know if I've ever received the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know that God's ever been at work in my life. I don't know if I ever have come to know Him. Then as we sing, um, then I'll invite you to come and kneel and pray and just say, God, I want to call on your name. I want to know you. I don't just want to be saved from something and saved to something, but I want to live as a person who's redeemed as a first part of the resurrection. This new life, this present reality. Or maybe this morning you say, you know, I, I know I've I know I've prayed this prayer before, I know God's done a work in my life, but I just need a fresh pouring of his spirit in my life. I just need to know that he's present and that he's real. If that's you, I invite you to come and kneel as we as we pray and as we sing. Father, we thank you this morning for the way you continue to be with us.